Pastor Stephanie and I are glad to be back with you after our two-week vacation. Vacations are just such good things for your souls, aren't they? Pray that, uh, so we're happy to report that we do feel refreshed by God's Spirit. And we pray that you have some time this summer to feel refreshed as well. Oh, it's all on my side. (laughs) Corey, can you get me? Am I good? It says I'm good. Can you hear me? Oh. All right, so this morning we begin an eight-week sermon series walking through Paul's letter to the Philippians, as Stephanie said. We're actually going to read every verse from this letter over the course of eight Sundays, and I'd encourage you to to read the letter in one sitting sometime this week. It'll take you maybe 20, 30 minutes. That's how we read letters, isn't it? We we don't read, uh, you know, uh, a fourth of it, and then sort of save the next for a week later, we, we, we get a letter and we read the whole thing. And so that's what Paul's letters, how they're meant to be read. Um, we'll just, we'll go through it more slowly uh, here on Sundays, but I do encourage you to take some time when you have a moment by yourself this week to, to read, that, read that thing on your own, the whole thing. All right, so this, this is a, a short letter. It's not a long letter, but it is, it is rich with God's speech to us. God wants to speak into the real details of our actual lives through Paul's letter to the Philippians. Do you believe this? Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Drew. You're a pastor. You're supposed to believe it. Kathy Nimmer preached on belief and on unbelief the last two weeks. And I'm always grateful for her spirit-inspired messages. I'm not just saying that because I want her to keep doing it, though I do. Uh, Anyone else grateful for Kathy's preaching? Yes, thank you. Thank you. So, so tell me, do you possess the belief that God will speak to you personally through his word? Just as that 61-year-old Cliff Young possessed the belief that he could win that 550-mile race. That was a good story, by the way. That's good. I need, you need to teach me how to find those stories. Do you, do you believe, okay, we're talking about belief. Do you really believe that God can speak to you and wants to speak to you and will speak to you personally through his word? Amen. If you believe it, then prepare to actually hear God for yourself over the next eight weeks. The God who created the galaxies, this same God will speak to your life through this letter to the Philippians. Isn't that astounding? <laughs> For those who believe the living God will comfort you, instruct you, challenge you, and fill you with his grace and peace. So let's prepare ourselves for this speech of God by humbling ourselves in prayer. Living God, we pray for minds to understand your word to us. Living God, we pray for hearts to receive your word to us. Living God, we pray for wills to put into practice your word for us. Triune God of grace, we believe in you and your word. Help our unbelief. Amen. Amen. Listen to the opening of Paul's letter to the first century Christians in Philippi. Philippi is in northern Greece, and it's the first place in Europe that heard the good news of Jesus. Paul, meanwhile, is in prison hundreds of miles away, but that doesn't stop the Christians in Philippi from supporting him. They recently sent him some money in prison so that he could, you know, like 
eat. <laughs> so Paul owes them a thank you note, and that's what this letter is, but it's also much more than a thank you note. It's also the Word of God for 21st century Christians like ourselves. So listen for God's Word. From Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus, to all those in Philippi who are God's people in Christ Jesus, along with your elders and deacons, may the grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I thank my God every time I mention you in my prayers. I'm thankful for all of you every time I pray, and it's always a prayer full of joy. I'm glad because of the way you have become my partners in the ministry of the gospel from the time you first believed it until now. I'm sure about this. The one who started a good work in you will complete the job by the day of Christ Jesus. I have good reason to think this way about all of you because I keep you in my heart. You are all my partners in God's grace, both during my time in prison and in the defense and support of the gospel. God is my witness that I feel affection for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus. This is my prayer, that your love might become even more and more rich with knowledge and all kinds of insight. I pray this so that you will be able to decide what really matters. And so you will be sincere and blameless on the day of Christ. I pray that you will then be filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes from Jesus Christ, in order to give glory and praise to God. This is the word of the Lord. What God begins, God completes. That's not always the case for myself. <laughs> Does anybody have a spouse out there who is very, very good at starting new projects? And that's about as far as it goes. When Stephanie and I moved into our, our house, it's a 1994 house, it had almost all the original look to it. So this, may, this means the wallpaper in the, in the master bathroom was, it was interesting to say the least. Meanwhile, the rest of the walls were off-white, and so we wanted to add some color and zest to the place, you know, to, to make it our own. So we embarked on an extensive painting project. The goal was to complete the job by the day of Lily's birth. And for the most part, we were successful. Does anybody know about removing wallpaper? Oh my goodness, is that a chore? I removed the wallpaper in the lower level bathroom, and I couldn't help but wonder if that's what the devil has people doing in hell. Just <laughs> removing wallpaper, one wall after another. Now, I thought the whole house just had to be repainted, the whole house, by the day of Lily's birth. So I didn't think twice about ripping off a good chunk of wallpaper in the master bathroom. It had already started peeling, after all, so why not just rip it off? Here's why. I never consulted my wife. Lily is almost two years old now, and Stephanie and I begin and end every day by looking at my artwork. My half-done, ripped-up wallpaper in the master bathroom. Honey, I promise I'll finish the job by the day of Christ Jesus. But here's the point. Whereas I fail to follow through sometimes, God always succeeds. Because what God begins, 
God completes. God never leaves a project unfinished. So what has God begun? God has begun rescuing the world through Jesus Christ. God's own coming to this earth in the flesh of man put into effect Operation Salvation. God has established his invisible kingdom of love, and Christ is the king, and the Holy Spirit is working through the church to bring all things under Christ. That's, that's the big picture of God's project. It's already underway, and God never leaves a project unfinished. What God begins, God completes. The opening of Paul's letter gets even more personal than this, though. All that big stuff, big picture stuff is true, but, but it's also true that God has begun a good work in you. Paul is certain of this. When he thinks of the Christians in Philippi, and Stephanie and I are just as certain when we think of the Christians in Heartland Community Church, the one who started a good work in you will stay with you to complete the job by the day of Christ Jesus. What God begins, God completes, and God has begun a spectacular work of salvation in each one of you. But sometimes, sometimes we fall into ruts in the Christian life, don't we? We have periods of strong growth, and then we kind of just plateau. Or perhaps we have an intense experience of God's presence, and then the, then the normalcy of life just sort of chips away at our, near, at our sense of nearness to God. Do you know what I'm talking about? We, we plateau in our spiritual growth, or we stay in the same place in our spiritual journey. We get stuck, right? Or perhaps we get lazy, unwilling to try anything new that might stir us up toward growth. By my estimation, this is a, a very common experience for Christians in America. If you have close friendships with, with Christians in other parts of the world, it's not, so, it's not so common for them, actually, which is something worth exploring another time. But it does seem commonplace, at least from my experience, that American Christians, we, we often, our growth often reaches a certain point and then stops. Our spiritual growth is, is halted. Sometimes we might stay in the same place for years. It's like we were, it's like we were meant to be a 10-foot tree, but we just stopped growing at 7 feet or 3 feet or 10 inches. Now, it's nothing, to, it's nothing to shame ourselves over, but it is something to notice and work through when we get stuck, when we aren't growing spiritually. Because what God begins, God completes, and, and God has begun a good work in you. So let me spell out in more detail what exactly this good work is. I don't have any water in here, but I'll just do this anyways. Okay. <laughs> the good work is, is the work of growing you up into a 10-foot tree. It's the work of maturing you in Christ. As Paul says in Romans 8.39, God has predestined you to be conformed to the image of the Son. Listen to that again. God has predestined you to be conformed to the image of the Son. Your destiny, according to God, is to look more and more like Jesus. 
not physically with a beard or whatever, however he looked, but spiritually. The character that Jesus has, that's the character God is forming in you. The perfect love for God and the perfect love for others that Jesus has, that's your destiny. God has predestined you to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And you thought your mom had high hopes for you. (laughs) My friends, your heavenly Father sees more potential in you than a million moms put together. And the Lord knows I respect moms. I'm a mama's boy through and through. God is forming you into Christ's image. That's God's primary goal for your life. That's what really matters to God. And what God begins, God completes. Now, this is a process. It's not one and done. It's not something that God God accomplishes in you the moment you first believed. Nor is it something God is waiting to do after you die. Rather, God began this work when you first believed, and God continues this work in you now, shaping and molding your character so that you look more like Christ. Thank you. That's the character of Christ right there. (laughs) This is the good work. This, this shaping your character into the character of Christ. That's what Paul is talking about. This is the good work God has begun in you. It's the work of, get ready, sanctification, to use the technical term. Sanctification. Raise your hand if you've heard the word sanctification. The old Sunday school term, isn't it? Paul puts it even more plainly in another letter, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. He says, This is the will of God. Anybody wonder what the will of God is for your life? This is the will of God, Paul says, your sanctification, becoming sanctified, becoming holy, becoming truly human as God created humans to be, becoming more like Jesus, the most fully human being that ever lived. That's what really matters to God. That's what God's most interested in, not your career, your reputation, or your achievements, but your character, your heart, your love for God and others. You are conforming to the image of God's Son. If you believe in Jesus, this is the good work that God already has begun in you, and what God begins, God completes. Sometimes it looks to us like the gear is in neutral. Sometimes it seems like we're not going anywhere spiritually. It feels like we're stuck. What does stuckness look like? Well, sometimes it looks like this. You still believe in God, but you don't feel much of anything. You hear a song of praise, and you mouth the words, but in your heart, you're indifferent. You, you read scripture, but nothing jumps out at you. You try to pray, but you're easily distracted. You go to church, but Most of your thoughts are not about how great God is, but about how things used to be better when blank. (laughs) Or maybe you're just thinking about what you're going to eat at Arnie's later. Pizza, my friends, don't kid yourself. You're not going to Arnie's to get a salad. You're going for the pizza. So we get stuck in our spiritual journey, don't we? For some of us, this stuckness leads us away from the local church, slowly but surely. We tell ourselves, it's a relationship, 
not a religion. And while this is true to a certain extent, the motto becomes an excuse for isolating ourselves from Christian community. It just seems easier that way. That's the spirit of individualism. That's the spirit that has long marked the ethos of America. It's the spirit of individualism. It's in the air we breathe. It just feels right for us to do what I think is best. And so it feels right sometimes to leave our church family and do things our own way. We don't need the local church, we think. I can get church on TV or an app or a book. But just because something feels right doesn't mean it's from the Lord. Now when we develop this attitude, we become like potted plants. We become distant from the rest of the plants in the garden. We enjoy our own tiny little plot of of potted soil, and we don't have to go through the trouble of dealing with cantankerous Christians, thank God. But the result is that we fail to experience the growth that only comes from being in the garden. We stop growing, we fall into a rut, we get stuck. God seems to fade more and more into the background of our lives. Or even worse, we confuse our own goals and our own desires with God's goals and desires. Sometimes we don't just get stuck, but we even backslide. We fall back into old patterns of thinking and behaving that harm ourselves or others. Do you know what it's like to feel stuck in your relationship with God? Have you ever felt the consequences of things said and done when your soul was out of whack? I have, and I'm sorry for it. The good news, the good news is that it doesn't have to be that way. We don't have to get stuck in our relationship with God. And when we do get stuck, there is, there is a way out. When it comes to spiritual stuckness, the antidote is the same as the preventive medicine. According to the New Testament, in both cases, the healing medicine is grace. Grace is God's free gift of forgiveness. But that's not all. That's often how grace is experienced when we first believe. Grace is God's unmerited favor, his pardon. That's how we first experience it. But that's not the only outcome of grace. Remember, what God begins, God completes. So I like this bigger definition that comes from Dallas Willard, who says, grace is God's action in our lives to accomplish what we cannot accomplish on our own. Grace is God's action in our lives to accomplish what we cannot accomplish on our own. So grace is the preventive medicine that keeps us healthy and growing in our life with God. And it's also the antidote when we find ourselves sick with indifference towards spiritual matters. Paul knows this truth about spiritual growth. Paul, the inspired author of this letter, he says right at the opening, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not just his way of being polite. (laughs) We're used to this phrase and we think it's sort of, it's this formal liturgy. But for Paul back then, this is his way of of saying what it is we most need. Grace, the grace that comes from God. The grace that comes from God is the miracle grow of the spiritual life. If we're going to get unstuck, we need to soak in the water of grace as much as possible. 
Same if we want to keep growing. Grace, the free gift of forgiveness and grace, God's action in our lives to accomplish what we cannot accomplish on our own. So how do we do that? How do we, how do we soak in God's grace? Well, the main thing we can do, I think, is to, to get ourselves in the garden. We have to get under that hose that is spraying the water of grace all over the place. So where is the garden? The garden is the local church. The church is God's garden. God has chosen the local church to be the primary place where people are watered by the grace of God. I'm not just saying this because I'm in the business of church. This stuff long predates my existence. Study for yourself the New Testament. See how it talks about the church and its role in God's order of things. Or, or just observe the lives of those who are spiritually growing. Take a look at the spiritual practices of those who are becoming more and more like Christ. In my experience, all of these folks, the ones that I most admire and want to be like, the ones that look most like Jesus now, these people, they're a, they play a vital part in the community of Jesus' followers. The community that hears and tastes God's grace in word and sacrament on a regular basis. That's because the church is God's garden. It's God's place for growing us up into Christ's likeness. It's God's plan for reminding us of his presence. God's presence is available 24-7, of course, but we do need reminders at least once a week, it seems. The church is God's garden. God himself has tilled the soil, and God has established the church as the ecosystem for spiritual growth. Now, as many of you know, things aren't always pleasant in the garden. Weeds and thistles inevitably find their way inside. There will be hurt feelings and opposing agendas and, regrettably, division in the garden. But it's still God's garden. There are hurt feelings and competing agendas everywhere in life, aren't there? In the workplaces, in your families. But it's, it's in God's garden where those things are used by God as fertilizer to help us grow all the more into the image of Christ. In God's garden, the tough stuff of relationships and personality differences and conflict, these are taken up by God and used for good. They're used to help us grow into the image of Christ. So if we stay in the garden long enough, and if we sit under the hose of grace and let it drench us, then God will see to it that conflict leads not to division, but to greater growth in Christ. You see, in God's garden, the Spirit is at work through everything, even through conflict, and God will bring forth the fruit of forgiveness and healing and restored relationships. God will bring grace into the garden and nothing helps us grow quite like grace. It's the miracle grow of the spiritual life. Grace, God's free act of pardon. Grace, God's continuing action in our lives. You are all my partners in God's grace, Paul says to the Philippians. And I can confidently say it to you all now. Heartland Community Church, you all are partners in God's 
grace. For this reason, I thank my God whenever I pray for you. I'm thankful for all of you every time I pray, and it's always a prayer full of joy. I'm glad because of your partnership in the ministry of the gospel. I truly am. God is my witness that I feel affection for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus. If you're stuck, I feel for you. Pastor Stephanie and I want so badly to help you get unstuck. We're available to help you grow spiritually. That's why we're called pastors. That's our job. We are eager to share our time and resources with you to help you grow spiritually. But here's the deal. You've got to reach out. This takes humility and courage and intention on your part. So I encourage you to to lean into God's grace and pray for strength. God will help you do it. There, there is hope for you to have a deeper life with God, no matter what your age or your stage in life. So may the Lord Jesus help you believe it, help you reach out. Now for those who are growing spiritually, praise God. If your walk with Jesus is deepening every day, praise God. If you find yourself quite miraculously becoming more like Jesus, so that the things that used to dominate your life don't anymore, praise God. If things like anger and lust and envy and, and worry, if those things no longer have the kind of hold over you that they once did, then praise God. If that's you, then keep doing what you're doing. But not only that, here's my challenge for you who are growing spiritually. Come alongside someone else who is struggling. That's what it means to become partners in the ministry of the gospel as Paul says in the opening of his letter, to become partners in the ministry of the gospel is to grow spiritually ourselves and then to help others grow. In other words, to be disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus. That's why Paul is so joyful in prison. It's not because of the turkey sandwich he just received, although I'm sure that made him happy too. Paul is so joyful in prison because his friends in Philippi are becoming partners in the ministry of the gospel. They are not just looking to Paul to do all the ministry himself. They are looking to God, whom they've come to depend upon to give them strength and power to serve others in the name of Christ in their workplaces, when they're out and about, and through the church. So I urge you who are growing, imitate the folks at Philippians, at at the Philippian church, and minister to others with Christ's love. As Steph said, there's a guide in the bulletin to help you do this with with non-Christians. This guide's also a follow-up to our last series on evangelism. This is is our effort to not let this series sort of slip out of our minds, but to continue to to lean into this call that God has placed on us to, to reach out and to love our neighbors. Now, no matter where you are today in your spiritual journey, I want you to know, I want you to know that what God begins, God completes. And I'm sure of this, God has begun a good work in you. And by God's grace, God's continuing action in your life, God will complete the job by the day of Christ Jesus. The day of Christ Jesus. This is the day when all will be completed. It's a day we should look forward to as Christians. A day when all will be well 
all will, all will be well. Thanks to Jesus, all manner of things will finally be well. I close with Paul's prayer. This is my prayer for you. In fact, I, I feel moved by God to pray this over you, not just today, but for the next eight weeks. This is my prayer. That your love, Heartland Community Church, I pray that your love might become even more and more rich with knowledge and all kinds of insight. I pray this so that you will be able to decide what really matters. I long for each of you to know what really matters. I pray this so you will be sincere and blameless on the day of Christ. I pray that you will then be filled with the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of right living, the fruit of a right relationship with God and others. May you be filled with this fruit, which comes from Jesus Christ, in order to give glory to God and praise to God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.